appreciate so much. Several were able to come early this afternoon and share what's happening in regard to planning for Vacation Bible School. Just three weeks from this evening, we plan to begin Vacation Bible School right here at Midway at 6.30 p.m. Wonderful theme this year, camping out in God's Word, learning to be a servant like Jesus, and much work will be done between now and three weeks from now. But we can all be involved in various ways with Vacation Bible School. One of the greatest ways is to spread the word about it, and I know that, that our group uh, meetings this evening will help toward that. But all of us can be on uh, social media. All of us can um, uh, create conversations with people and t- tell them all about our Vacation Bible School, it's a rare thing, really, uh, when you begin to talk to other people throughout the Brotherhood. Uh, it's really rare to be able to offer classes from uh, cradle row all the way through adults uh, for several nights in a row. Uh, and we, we've always done it that way here at Midway. We, we feel very blessed, all of us do, to be involved and, and to see um, the children but also to see uh, all the classes being involved in learning God's Word. And so let's look forward to that uh, three weeks from uh, this evening. Much going on. Our summer series is coming our way. Uh, several youth activities are uh, planned. Uh, we'll get right into our lesson now this evening. Part two of resurrection is what I want to do uh, this evening. This morning we focused on the resurrection of Jesus, reading from the different resurrection accounts and understanding that some of the facts involved in the resurrection of Jesus uh, include the fact that that he actually died on the cross and also that everybody knew where he was buried and also that the tomb actually was found empty on that first day of the week. Also, there were numerous eyewitnesses to these happenings. And then finally, we noticed this morning that there was a great change that took place uh, among the disciples of Jesus. So this evening, just a few more thoughts along this line. We're going to jump around a little bit, but eventually we'll land in Matthew 28 again this evening. But first of all, these introductory Thoughts. I want us to remember uh, three things about Jesus and the resurrection before we get to Matthew 28. I want us to remember just how specific Jesus was when he talked about his resurrection. Some people who have doubts about Jesus' resurrection will say, well, it wasn't a really a resurrection of the body. It was just simply the fact that that the movement of Jesus, that the cause of Jesus uh, finally caught fire, and that uh, things about Jesus went viral after his, his death, and, and uh, his movement caught traction. It's really more of a, a symbolic resurrection is what they talked about, not really a literal resurrection. But that's not true at all. Notice how specific Jesus uh, is in John chapter 2. And verse 19, when um, 
they had asked Jesus concerning a sign about the things that he would be doing. John 2, 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said it took 46 years to build uh, the temple and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was actually speaking about the temple of his body, of his body. And so Jesus is saying that his body, the temple, the temple of his body will be destroyed. Notice how he talks there. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Jesus was in control of what was taking place concerning his death and his resurrection. Remember what he says in John 10, 17 and 18. He, said, he says, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Okay. Jesus gave up the ghost. Okay. He gave up his spirit, John 19, 30 and 31, when he died. He laid down his life. He gave himself for us, but also he took it again because it was within his will and power to do that. So notice how specific Jesus is concerning his resurrected body. Also notice how very powerful Jesus is. When we think about the resurrection, we must stop and consider the ultimate, the indescribable power of God. Now, some have doubted the resurrection, and they say, well, that, all of that is just impossible. One, one fellow wrote in to a uh, religious publication. He said, he said, look, the scriptures teach that Jesus' resurrection is a pledge to the fact that all of our bodies will be raised from the dead. And that's true. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 23, talk, talk in those very terms that Yes, Jesus' resurrection means that all of our bodies will be resurrected. Well, the writer went on to complain that people have died in so many various ways. Some people's bodies are cremated and their ashes are scattered on the sea or scattered across a forest. Or Other people have died in airplane accidents. Other people have died in wars and so their body and their body parts are just scattered. How? That's impossible. It just cannot happen but it comes back to a basic belief in the power of God, doesn't it? What does Genesis 2 and verse 7 say about the original creation of man? It says, of course, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth, the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And Solomon comments in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 concerning the demise of man, he says, when we die, the dust returns to the earth from whence it came, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Okay. So God has ultimate power. We may not be able to even uh, understand it, but he has ultimate power. He, he created us from the dust of the ground, so he has full power to be able to resurrect our bodies he had full power, which was displayed in the resurrection of Jesus as well. So think about how powerful Jesus really is concerning his resurrection. And then this other introductory thought, and that is, 
Think about how informative Jesus was about his resurrection. He, he didn't try to keep this a secret. We noticed this morning that right there in Matthew um, 27 and verse 63, that even after Jesus had been condemned to death, the Jews come, come to Pilate and said, now remember that this, this deceiver of man, they're referring to Jesus, how he said that after three days he would rise again. And so we don't want uh, you know, his disciples to go and steal the body and then claim that he's been risen from the dead. So please, will you secure the tomb for us? And they went and secured the tomb with several guards and an official seal from the Roman government and all that. But notice that it wasn't a lack of information. Their problem was not a lack of information. Jesus had been talking about the fact that he would be raised on the third day. And even the Jewish officials, even some in the, in the Roman government, had heard him say that. Okay. Notice how informative he is. Okay. And for these Jewish officials who did not believe, it wasn't a lack of information, but as we discussed last Sunday, it was a lack of hearing. Because you might recall last Sunday we said the idea of hearing in the Bible is to obey. It is to receive it with a humble heart and, and to obey. So I wanted, I wanted us to just quickly review how specific Jesus was, how powerful he is concerning his resurrection, and then also how informative he was. Now, in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, I want us to notice the report of the guards, those very guards that were sent to, to secure the tomb. I want us to notice the report of the guards. This is verses 11 through 15, Matthew 28, and you can see all this in your own Bible. First of all, notice the guards as eyewitnesses. We talked a little bit about the eyewitnesses, all the people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. But think about the guards. They were right there. Okay. They were right there. They, and it says they came and, and reported uh, to the chief priest here in, in Matthew 28, verse 11. But think about the guards first as eyewitnesses. The, the word guard here comes from the word that we get. We get the word custodian from this, this word guard. The original meaning there of guard is one who constantly watches. The constantly watching ones. Those were the guards. Their job, and probably there were 15 or 16 of them assigned to this task. Their sole job is to watch this tomb so that nothing would happen to the body of Jesus. They are the constantly watching ones. And they watched and they experienced, and then notice it here in Matthew 28, verse 11, they came and told the chief priests and underlined it, all that had taken place, every bit of it, all that had taken place. They came and told the chief priests and this would include Matthew 28, 1 through 4. Let your eyes glance up there. What had they experienced? These very guards, what had they experienced? Well, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled away the stone. His appearance was, was very, very bright, just like lightning. And they, when they observed this, they fell back like, like dead men. Verse 3 says, like lightning in his clothing as snow and for the fear of him, Matthew 28, verse 4, for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They came and reported every bit of this to the chief priest.
priest. These are eyewitnesses. And if they came and they reported this, then they would have to say, look, this body was not removed by any natural means at all. Something beyond us removed this body and removed this, this stone from, from the tomb. Okay. So think, first of all, about these guards as, as just pure eyewitnesses. Okay. Now, notice it says they came and told all that they had seen. But notice it says, it says some of them come. Mine says some. What does yours say? It says, behold, some of the guard. This is the English Standard Version. I checked the American Standard Version of 1901. It also says some of the guard. So I wonder what the rest of them did. Just some of them. Some of them. Yeah. The rest of the guard, whatever group this was, securing the tomb of Jesus, standing guard, what did the rest of them do? Some of them come to the chief priests. Some of them come into the city. Uh, have you ever wondered what the rest of them did? I just wondered, did they, did they, did they say, I'm, I'm a believer now. I'm going to go find out more about Jesus could some of the rest of the guard, could they have become Christians? Will we be able to talk to some of these guardsmen in heaven? See, some of them came to the chief priest, but some of them didn't. I just wonder about those that didn't come. They, they experienced the same thing. They experienced this angel from heaven. They, they experienced, they were, their sole job that night was to guard, and they were, this was their profession to guard when they needed to guard. They're the constantly watching ones. And yet, something happened. Something incredible happened. And they went and told it all. And notice here in Matthew 28, verse 12, that panic, these officials became panic-stricken. They told the chief priest all that had taken place, and when they had assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. So they, they get into panic mode. Okay. The sad thing here is they didn't have to panic. Okay. Why didn't they just simply stop and consider? Why didn't they just stop and consider? Why didn't they just stop and believe? Why, did, why didn't they just simply believe or at least begin to investigate in the other way? Why didn't? Why didn't they allow this instead of becoming panic-stricken and say, well, something's about to happen to our power here. Why didn't they just stop and say, maybe, maybe we haven't been going in the right direction. They didn't have to panic. So notice the panic-stricken. But then notice the story. These religious people, the elders of the city, the chief priests, they become storytellers. They become storytellers. Now, just think about it on the surface here. The very fact that they're about to create a story to cover up something that they never thought was going to have to happen means that they are admitting that the tomb is empty. The very fact they're having to create a cover story, they are admitting that the tomb is empty, but they're going to try to do it anyway. How very, very... Foolish, very foolish of them. And the story they're going to create, they, they tell the soldiers to say 
this. Say this, verse 13. Say this, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. While you were, you ever seen that movie? While you were sleeping? While we were sleeping, they came and stole the body. While we were sleeping. Sleeping witnesses, have you ever heard of that? Sleeping witnesses. I have a little bit of experience with that. Sort of, somewhat, sort of. We live in a little neighborhood, and down at the end of the neighborhood is some good friends of ours. Y'all, some of y'all know Randy and Kim Smith. And um, a few years ago, and right in the middle of the night, an ambulance fire truck came, and there was some sort of emergency. It did not end up being life or death, but no one knew, but um, two or three ambulances and two fire trucks went and went right to Kim and Randy's house. And, and I, I jumped up. I noticed they were headed that way, so I, I walked on down there right in the middle of the night. And it ended up not being at Randy and Kim's house. It ended up being on the right side, the house next to them. And so um, someone was having a medical problem. And so we stood around, a bunch of us, I bet you there were 25, 30 people out there. And it ended up not being a big deal, but you know how we are. Once we're there, we might as well talk for a while, you know, and make sure everything's okay. We're out there, we're standing right in Kim and Randy's front yard. Okay. And we're just talking, it's warm, and we're just talking about different things, and, and the, the, all the lights and everything going, and, and, and Randy and Kim never woke up. They, they never woke up. And next, next day I found him. And I said, you know, I was out here at your house last night. He said, you were? I said, yeah, a bunch of us were. I named off of several people. They sleep with the fans on. He said, we go high. We, we, all our fans are on high. We don't ever hear anything. Okay. Now just suppose if Randy had been called as a witness to tell what was going on at his neighbor's house that night. I mean, he, was, he, he would not be able to tell you one thing about anything that was taking place that night. And this is the kind of story that they are trying to, to use as a credible cover-up for why the body of Jesus is missing. See, we were asleep, and his disciples come and stole the body. How utterly foolish. Why couldn't people just see right through that? And just a few more questions about that. You know, if someone comes and stole the body of a tomb of that magnitude, wouldn't they make some noise? Wouldn't they make some noise? At least wake one of you up. And, and what about the idea that, that all of you were sleeping? How often does that happen? All of you were sleeping? All, all 15 or 16 of you guards, all of you were sleeping so soundly that you would not even hear someone stealing uh, the body. And what about this? If the disciples stole the body, then why weren't they arrested? Why, why didn't you go around? Why don't you go round all of them up and execute them? That's, that's a major crime. But not one effort was done. No, no investigation was started because what they were doing, they wanted this to go away. They didn't want more investigation. They didn't want more publicity around this. They wanted this to simply go away. So they create, tried to create this cover story. Okay. Well, it doesn't stop there. As you can see, 
reading here in verses 12, 13, and 14, they, they offered them a good sum of money. They offered the soldiers a good sum of money. Hush money. Silence money. And then they gave them the assurance that if, if word of this came to the governor, we'll take care of that too. Okay. If you'll just take this money. And, and sad to say, they took the money. They took the money. And they went with it and they told the story they were told uh, to tell. They took the money. What's interesting here is that when you turn over to Acts 12 and verse uh, 19, you find out that you remember that time when Peter was in prison? And you remember that an angel came and helped him get out of prison? Do you remember what Herod did to those who had been guarding Peter? Yep. They lost their life. They lost their lives because they failed in being the watching one. They were, all their job was was to watch Peter. Okay. And they failed in that job and they killed him. Here, instead of giving these soldiers the just punishment that they were due because they lost their person they were watching, instead of giving them that punishment, they were rewarded. They were given them money. Okay. Now, how do you describe this? This is... This is corrupt to the core, isn't it? I mean, Dr. Seuss said it right. Stink, stink, stunk. This is, this is foolish, and this is about as corrupt to the core of your existence that you can possibly get, all because you will not receive the truth as it is evident right before you. Now, here in Matthew 28, there's a couple of lessons we need to learn. Notice here in, in Matthew 28, verse 15, this story was told and it was spread up until the time that Matthew is writing. Most, most say that Matthew wrote his gospel about 50 or 60 A.D. And so for the next 20 to 30 years, this same story, this same story that the disciples came while we slept, this same story was spread, and there were some gullible people who believed it. So one lesson here is we don't, we don't need to be gullible. That, that's one of our ringing calls here uh, within the Lord's church, and it's a call from scriptures not to be gullible, not, not to believe just because someone says something may be so or not so, but rather we search uh, the scriptures. Like the Bereans of Acts 17, 11, and 12, we search the scriptures daily because... We don't want to take someone's word for anything. Another lesson is to remember this, and this is the most powerful lesson. Acts 6 verse 7 says that as they're preaching the gospel there in Jerusalem, a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. You see, you can't, as hard as you work, and as, you know, they had these panic meetings there, and they were so clever. Let's, you know, they were so clever. Let's come up with this story. As hard as they were, you cannot silence the truth. And these priests who are right there in Jerusalem, and they, they were able to observe and hear the story that's concocted and, and, and hear the reports of Jesus. And, and eventually a great company, notice it in your Bible, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You, 
Hard as one might try, you cannot silence the truth. You just can't do it. Paul said it in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9, that the word of God cannot be bound. He said, I'm, I'm being treated as a malefactor, as a common criminal, but the word of God cannot be bound. You can put me in prison, Paul said, but you will not bind up the word of God. These soldiers, they took that hush money. Would you have taken it? Somebody offered you a great sum of money not to speak about this. What would you do? That brings us to our final point tonight, final idea. We wanted to start with just a few reminders and then look at this report of the guards here in Matthew 28. Finally, I want us to think about, it really comes down to conviction, doesn't it? Conviction. More and more, at least personally, more and more, I think it it's more about conviction than it is method when it comes down to being and doing what the Lord would have us to be and do. It comes down more to conviction than, than method. These folks were convicted that Jesus is the Son of God. Think of it like this. Suppose you're a little girl and you're told by a competent physician. Your little girl needs to be in a hospital in Minnesota and she needs to be there in three days. And you don't have sufficient transportation to get her there. Let me ask you this. Would you find a way to get her there? You would turn the world upside down to get her there. Why? Because of your conviction and love for her. Of course you would. You would find a way. She would be there in less than three days. Conviction. Conviction. If we are convicted of our sin, if we are convicted of the fact that we will be punished for our sin, if we are convicted that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that He did indeed rise from the dead, that the Bible is His Word, the New Testament is His covenant, if we're deeply convicted, we will find a way. We will find a way to make the news known to other people. As an illustration of that, let's just think about, once again, Peter for a second. Peter. Peter was one of the disciples on resurrection night. He was locked and hiding in a room for fear. Peter. Peter. Peter was one of the disciples who was so dejected after Jesus was crucified and that lingered on for for hours and hours, but finally being convicted that Jesus is indeed the resurrected Savior. Oh, what a change. What a change. I'm going to read to you just a few excerpts from Peter, Peter's preaching. And I want you to notice how often this comes up. Just, this won't take just a minute or two. But notice Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2. He says... This Jesus, Acts 2.32, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Acts 2.32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Peter preaching again here in Acts 3, 
Acts 3, verse 14, he says, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, Jesus, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised up from the dead, and to this we are all witnesses. Notice the boldness of Peter. Now, Acts 4, beginning in verse 10, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him does this man stand here before you whole. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter doesn't stop there. Peter to the household of Cornelius and his friends, Acts chapter 10, is still preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I'll pick up in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 39. Peter says, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him up the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us whom have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You see that? Acts 10, 41. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Just a few. And then when you get into Peter's epistles, when you get into Paul's letters again and again and again, the resurrection of Jesus comes forth. And you ask, well, what are we supposed to be telling people about? The cross and the resurrection. If one cannot be drawn by a conviction of his own sin and the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection of our Lord from the dead, then they simply will not be drawn to heaven. This is what they preached. We're thankful to be able to take just a few minutes on this Lord's Day and review some of these precious truths about the resurrection of Jesus. You are invited home to Him this evening. Our Lord did all this for us so that we would be home that we would have the peace that He offers, that we would have the hope of eternal life. You are invited to Him this evening. Will you come right now as we stand and we sing, Brother Tim?